I think the most desirable outcome for the Department of Labor would be that a single recommendation of a rollover in and of itself is a fiduciary act, and you have to satisfy PTE 202. This is 401k specialist editor-in-chief Brian Anderson, and this is the 401k specialist podcast. The retirement industry will be keeping a close eye on the Department of Labor in August in anticipation of proposed regulation regarding the always controversial fiduciary rule and whether or not a retirement plan to IRA rollover recommendation made by an advisor who's a fiduciary to a plan or participant constitutes a fiduciary act necessitating the use of PTE 202. To help us figure out what's going on and what to watch out for with the DOL's fiduciary rule, we can think of no better source than Fred Reich, noted Arisa expert, Bakery drinker partner, and of course, retire holic JD Carlson's spirit animal. <laughs> Fred, thanks for joining us today on the 401k specialist podcast. Hey, Brian, thank you very much. Good to be here with you. And, and it's a great topic and one of great interest to me personally. All right. Well, you've been spending plenty of time this year educating the industry on the ins and outs of a wide variety of key secure 2.0 provisions. But you've also got an eye on what the Department of Labor is up to in working to craft a new fiduciary regulation. So first off, I'm hoping that you could give us a brief, maybe the 10,000-foot overview of the issue and how we got to where we are today. Sure. Um, you know, Brian, it's, it's largely a story of the world changing. And what I mean by that, back in the 70s, the Department of Labor issued a regulation defining fiduciary investment advice. And there's two parts to it. Uh, one part, which has remained constant the whole time, and there's no question about, uh, is that discretionary investment management, literally, if, if an advisor has the authority to make changes in the investments, that is fiduciary advice. It always has been. It always will be. So we can take that off the table. That's the first half of the regulatory definition. The second half is for non-discretionary investment advice, or think in terms of of, I recommend that you do this. That's non-discretionary because nothing happens till the investor says, I agree. Um, so for non-discretionary investment advice, there has historically been a five-part test. It's just that the regulation, you know, goes on for several lines. And by the time you break it down, there are five different criteria. Um, of those criteria, the one that people who make recommendations have used the most often to say they're not a fiduciary is the so-called regular basis prong of the five-part test, one of the five parts. And regular basis means that you don't just provide advice once, but that you provide advice again and again and again. You're providing advice on a regular basis. Um, so it makes sense that, that if you're doing more than just an isolated event, then you're a fiduciary. I mean, there are other criteria. You have to receive money. So if I you know, tell a relative how to invest money. That's, even if I said it again and again, which I may have, um, <laughs> I'm still not making any money on it. So it's not fiduciary advice. But the key thing is regular basis. So, okay, fast forward uh, to about 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, and the Obama era rule came out where it expanded the definition and it affects that a rollover recommendation uh, can be fiduciary advice, uh, notwithstanding the five-part test. But like, how did they get there? What what happened? And the what happened is that change I talked about at the beginning. There's been a lot of change. 
the biggest change of all is 401k plans. There, there weren't 401k plans back when these, these regulations were issued. It was mainly a defined benefit plan world, and things that made sense in that context may not make sense today. So you have a assume the worst case scenario in a manner of speaking. A participant joins a plan, they're defaulted into the plan, they're defaulted into a target date fund as a QDIA. They leave it that way for 30 or 40 years. They retire with $500,000. They've never made an investment decision in their whole life. That's all the money they have. And the Department of Labor looks at that and says, my goodness, this that participant was bubble wrapped by fiduciary protections from the plan sponsor and the plan committee for 30 or 40 years. They've got $500,000 for their whole retirement for another 20, 30, 40 years. And now we're going to kick them out of being fiduciary bubble wrapped. And we're going to say, hey, buddy, swim with the sharks. You know, you're going retail, retail pricing, retail conflicts of interest, retail everything. And the Department of Labor looks at that and says, that doesn't make any sense. How can how can you be bubble wrapped for accumulation and not bubble wrapped for decumulation? Now that's I'm using some pretty broad examples and explanations here, but but that's the idea. Um, the Obama era rule then got vacated by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, meaning that that vacated means it's treated as if it never existed. Uh, so it just went away. Then along comes, believe it or not, the Trump administration. And they issued PTE 2020-02 that tried to get around that regular basis test by saying, uh, you know, if you recommend, and I'm just giving you one example, there, there, there are others, but if you, rec- if, if you don't have any relationship to a plan and you recommend that somebody roll over, uh, but then you provide ongoing advice to the IRA, we, the Department of Labor, are going to deem the ongoing advice to the IRA and the rollover recommendation to be connected and therefore, it's all part of a regular basis advice. Therefore, you satisfy the five-part test. Therefore, you're a fiduciary. Therefore, you have to satisfy all those requirements in PTE 2020-02, including a best interest standard of care and a requirement to mitigate conflicts of interest. So they sort of bootstrapped themselves into saying, we now know that rollovers from 401k plans are a huge financial moment of critical importance in a participant's life, we want to make sure they get the best protections possible. Now, you can debate whether or not they did that effectively. You can debate whether or not they had the authority to make that connection. But that's what they were trying to do. That was that 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 was the effort that was going on there, Brian. Okay, um, you know, recently we had those two lawsuits that challenged the reinterpretation and the uh, other parts of the preamble to the prohibited transaction exemption twenty twenty o two. Uh, what's going on there, and how might the court's decisions uh, impact what the DOL is working on now with its conflict of interest in investment advice regulation? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, Brian. The, the first was the Florida Federal District Court, and it vacated the part of the DOL's reinterpretation of the five-part test, mainly the regular basis test. That's what it really vacated. It said, no, you know, that, that when you look at the rules, they say advice to such plan, the IRAs, one plan. And in the Eternal Revenue Code, it's, an IRA is literally a plan uh, and versus the 401k plan. So they're two separate things. So it's not advice to that plan. Therefore, you can't connect the rollover recommendation to the ongoing advice to the IRA. Therefore, the court vacated that interpretation. Uh, in other words, one-time rollover advice, even if accompanied by ongoing 
advice to an IRA is not fiduciary advice for the rollover. That's what the court said. Uh, but then they did go on to say, but, you know, we think uh, we think the conditions in the exemption of PT 202 are pretty good. Not pretty good, but they're, the, the, the deal had the authority to, to say that. So we uphold the conditions in the PTE, but of course they only apply if there's fiduciary advice. So what does that mean? Well, if you have conflicted advice to IRAs on an ongoing basis, yeah, you still need 202. If you have conflicted advice to a plan, for example, commissions on an ongoing basis, yeah, that's that's you also need 202. But the rollover is the key thing. And the rollover, the connection, the regular basis test no longer applies. So then we flip over to uh, the Florida, the Texas decision, rather. Essentially, it held the same thing, uh, that you can't connect the rollover recommendation to the ongoing advice to an IRA because one's to the plan, the other's to the IRA. The two don't connect under the way the rules are worded. Uh, so just as a an admonition to people listening to this, Brian, the, the SEC has similar rollover requirements for broker-dealers and investment advisors, and there a single recommendation is fiduciary advice for investment advisors as an SEC fiduciary and best interest advice for broker-dealers uh, have somebody regulated by regulation best interest. The best interest process is virtually identical for the DOL, FINRA, SEC. Uh, there are a couple of differences, though, for example, you don't have to do the annual retrospective review that's required by the DOL in 202 and you don't have to provide the participant in writing with the specific reasons why the rollover is in their best interest. Uh, those went away with the DOL rule no longer applying to that kind of a rollover. Uh, but the other rules, the best interest process is very much the same. So I, I wouldn't just say, oh, gee, we don't have to do a best interest process for rollovers anymore, because you do. Some of the rules go away. Uh, the the other thing I would point out is that it's not clear that if you recommend somebody transfer an IRA to you as an investment advisor or a broker dealer, it's not clear that that goes away from the DOL 2020-02. As I read it, the recommendation of a transfer to, of an IRA was not clearly impacted by the Texas decision or the Florida decision. And for some investment advisors, particularly those that focus on wealth management, um, they do a lot more IRA, IRA transfer recommendations than they do plan rollover recommendations. Okay, enough about that. Um, so the impact is the DOL has to do something now. They're, as I said in one of my articles, it's inconceivable that they won't do something. Right. And I was I was curious about what your take is on uh, on what the DOL's approach is going to be with this new regulation. I, I I didn't I noticed in that blog post you said it's inconceivable the DOL would abandon its efforts to impose fiduciary status on rollover recommendations. Yeah, we're 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 back to the beginning in a way. We're we're not in a defined benefit world anymore. We're not in a you know, in, a, in, in the kind of financial world that existed in the 1970s. It's a brand new financial world, 401ks, people, relatively unsophisticated people rolling over large amounts of money. And there, there is a tremendous public policy interest in protecting those people. Uh, you can see it with the SEC rules, uh, regulation best interest and the 2019 investment advisor interpretation. 
uh, together with some staff bulletins that have been issued last year and this year, make it very clear the SEC agrees with the DOL that this is an area that needs to be regulated, that is rollovers. So where do I see the the the, uh, the DOL going? Uh, I think the most desirable outcome for the Department of Labor would be that a single recommendation of a rollover in and of itself is a fiduciary act, and you have to satisfy PTE 2020-02. Uh, I don't know that they can get there. If they can, they would say, I think the approach would be that, hey, Look at what the SEC has done for both broker dealers and investment advisors. We're just we're just getting connected. We're just we're just collaborating or developing rules that work consistently with the SEC rules. The SECs are the expert. The SEC is the expert in this area. We're aligning with them. Um, another approach might be that they could try to uh, try to bring back the regular basis test. Uh, but in a regulation rather than just an uh, informal interpretation. But I really think they're going to say, no, a rollover recommendation standing in and of itself is a fiduciary act, that this is a substantial change in circumstances from the 1970s, and therefore it warrants a rewriting of the regulation. Uh, I suspect we'll see, at least the DOL has said, we'll see that proposal in August, you know, probably just weeks from now. And then they they then uh, give about a 60-day comment period. So about 60 days after that for, for people to file comments. Then they take those comments and go to work on the final regulation. I think another 60, 90 days for them to do that. Then it goes back to the White House for review. Another 30, 60 days after that. And then it gets published and final in the Federal Register. So um, at, at the soonest, we're looking at middle next year, maybe fall of next year, a year from now, before it's actually a rule. Uh, so, you know, we won't, we won't have to adhere to it immediately. But the effect of that is, is uh, Brian, I mean, it has a real effect, which is that big organizations, particularly think of uh, broker dealers with five or 6,000 advisors, they're saying, hey, we can't change on a dime. We're going to keep adhering to the DOL's old position while we wait to see what the new position is. Because we we can't say to our five or 6,000 advisors, hey, yesterday you had to comply with the DOL. Today you don't have to comply. But a couple of months from now, you'll have to comply again. And they're saying this, you know, they're feeling whipsawed and, and they feel, for the most part, the ones I'm talking to, the only way to make this work is to keep doing it the way they've been doing it for the last year. And then maybe after that, figuring out what comes next. All right. Well, we've covered a lot here, Fred. Uh, are there any uh, any closing thought, thoughts you might have about uh, what you think plan advisors might need to be thinking about regarding this? Um, I think, you know, the, the most plan advisors are really trying to do the right thing, almost all of them. But the right thing can be a little bit hard. And I think, you know, to consider, really truly consider the participant's position in the plan and how you can make it better for them in the IRA. I think that would be a win for the Department of Labor, a win for participants, and a win for advisors. And what I mean by that is you don't necessarily have to say, gee, it's a lot cheaper in a plan. We're better off staying there. Therefore, I recommend you stay there. That's That to me is not the best outcome. To me, the best outcome is to say, hey, with, my, with the rollover IRAs that I, as an advisor, serve, I'm going to create a whole set of services around that to make 
those IRA owners' lives better in retirement, helping them with retirement income, helping them with financial planning, helping them with required minimum distributions, helping them understand what's going on, meeting with them. Uh, in other words, make your IRA investments, investment strategies, and additional services so attractive in terms of the benefits it provides to retirees that it's clearly the best interest decision to take the money out of the plan and put it into the IRA. So, you know, when people look at this and say, oh, it's just about leaving the money in the plan and recommending that people not roll over, I don't think so. I see it the other way around. I see it making your IRA better so that it's obvious that rolling over is the right thing to do. So I, I just say that, Brian, just to get people thinking, you know, so thinking about a better way to be, about about a way to achieve the policy goals of these rules, but where the investor can get individualized advice from an from a advisor. All right, well, Fred, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thanks for joining us on the 401k Specialist Podcast. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be here. 